0: good morning everybody hope you all had a a merry christmas may have been a little different this year than has been in the past but still christmas still something to celebrate christmas morning admittedly is kind of a mixed bag for me at this age Uh, we have two little boys and on the one hand, it, it's wonderful Christmas morning. You know, you wake up, and you, hey, I love seeing my boys open their presents, and I, I love the excitement, and, you know, we're making memories, and I'm going to look back on and cherish someday, and it's, it's great. It's wonderful. But it's also terrible in some ways <laughs> because I have two little boys, and so Christmas morning begins way earlier than it should, right? You know where I'm coming from if you've had kids. And then there's all the wrapping paper to pick up. And then our favorite game, where are we going to put all this new stuff? That's a fun game. And then, because everybody got up so early, everybody's cranky by about 2 o'clock, but nobody wants to take a nap because it's Christmas and we have to play with this new stuff. And that means somebody's going to get in trouble and I'm going to be the bad guy who takes away one of the new toys on Christmas Day because somebody won't follow the rules. And all I really want is for everybody to go to bed so I can get some sleep. Christmas morning is wonderful, don't get me wrong, but it's also kind of terrible, and I can't wait for it to be over sometimes. And that's the way it is with life. Sometimes we just really can't wait for something to be done just so it's over. You take this year, for instance, 2020. I think by March, most of us were ready for this year just to be done. Let's just close the books, let's move on. And it was kind of a rough year. Sometimes we want things to be done just so we can move on. Other times, though, We kind of fear the end of something. You take like the end of your life, for instance. When somebody gets that news, it's incredibly common for them to be filled with fear or anxiety or regret or a whole host of other negative emotions. It can be a really scary thing. Every so often, though, once in a while, you find somebody that kind of welcomes their end not because they're eager for life to be done and to be over, but because of some really profound personal reason. And those are the people that we need to pay attention to because a lot of times they have something really significant to teach us about our lives. And that's the case this morning. Today we're going to wrap up a series that we've been in all month called The Audacity of Joy. Sometimes when life has got you down, when things are dark and dim, we need a joy that refuses to quit, and we're not talking about happiness, we're not talking about holiday cheer, we're talking about a genuine, audacious joy that refuses to stop shining. That's the kind of joy that's available to us through this faith, and this is the kind of joy that we've been looking at in the songs that surround the Christmas story early on in the Gospel of Luke. Today we're going to look at one final song. This time it's sung by a man named Simeon. And Simeon finds himself in kind of an interesting situation where he has come to the end of his life. And yet he sings with an audacious joy. We're going to learn why this morning. If you have your Bibles, would you open up to the book of Luke, chapter 2? That's where we're going to be if you got your Bible. If you don't have your Bible, don't worry about it, as always. You can follow along on the screens to the side. Or, as always, I would encourage you to download the FCC Monmouth app to your mobile device. You can click the Sunday button in the bottom right-hand corner. It'll bring up a lot of different tools that we can use to get a lot out of our time together. The most useful right now is sermon notes. we're going to find our passage and our notes pulled up for us to engage with today. And by the way, those sermon notes stay up all week, so you can engage with them throughout the week. If you're in conversation with somebody or you just forget something that was said, that's okay. So... Simeon, let's get into this Luke chapter two. We're going to start in verse twenty five. Let's learn about this small minor character that plays such a significant role in the early days of Jesus. It says now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the conclu- for the consolation, rather, of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, would be a cleansing ceremony, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, meaning people that didn't know God would now come to know him, and the glory of your people Israel, meaning those people who did know God now get to celebrate all the great things that God was doing through this child. So this is Simeon, and Simeon is a man with a a unique situation. He was told by the Holy Spirit, you will not die until you've seen the Messiah come, which stands to reason then after he had seen the Messiah come, his life probably was going to wrap up relatively quickly after that. Like, he's probably not going to kick the bucket that afternoon, but that marks the beginning of the end for Simeon. That, that stands to reason. That seems to be how he understands things as well. So one day, he's in the temple in Israel, and here comes Mary and Joseph with little baby Jesus doing their cleansing ceremony the way that they're supposed to. And Simeon takes that child in his arms, and he realizes this is the one. This is who I've been waiting for my entire life. This is God's chosen one, the Messiah, which is great news, right? That's fantastic news. That's why we celebrate Christmas. It's good news. However, that also means that Simeon now begins the last chapter or the countdown until his expiration, which we could all understand would be somewhat bothersome news, potentially. And yet, rather than moping or being concerned about that, he sings this song. And he seems to understand that his end is going to be rather imminent. When he sings this song, if we were to look at the the Greek text, sometimes it's, it's hard to take Greek and put it in English really, really well. But there's this little interesting detail that the key emphasized word is now. You would think it would be one of the other words in his song, but it's now, now, dismiss your servant in peace, Lord. Simeon understands his ends to be coming relatively quickly, and he seems to be okay with that. And the question is, why? Why does he have such peace? Why does he have such contentment? Or dare we even say joy based on his song, even though his final days are quickly approaching? That's the million-dollar question. Because if we can answer that, then we can probably find the secret to a similar contentment and joy in our lives today. So let's dig into Simeon's story this morning. Let's start to, to really look at this guy and who he is and what he sings. Because when we do, we start to see some lessons. And one of those really important lessons concerns our past. Our past commitment can spark an audacious kind of joy. We see that in Simeon. If you were to look at verse 25, we get this description of this guy. It says he is righteous and devout. Those are not Commendations that are given after just having like a really good week in the faith. I was really great this week, and so now I'm righteous and devout. Typically, those are things that are ascribed to somebody that you know well or somebody that has been righteous and devout for quite some time. By way of example, you think about it like this If you just met me, you probably would not give me a key to your house. I hope you wouldn't. That would be really silly. I mean, you don't even know me, I could be really messy. I could have no respect for boundaries and just show up randomly at odd times throughout the week. I could be one of those crazy people that turns the thermostat up to 77, which it kind of feels like 77 in here right now, doesn't it? Am I the only one that's really, there's a heat vent up here, by the way. It's really hot. I could be a crazy person. You don't know me. So why would you trust me with something like that? It takes time to get to know somebody, it gets time to develop that trust in them and to really know what they're about. So if somebody's calling Simeon righteous and devout, you can assume that they've spent time with him. It has taken a while to develop that kind of character and reputation. So Simeon has likely been in this faith for quite some time, maybe probably even his whole life. We learned something else about his faith, too. It says that he was waiting on the consolation of Israel, which is a really peculiar term that, to my knowledge, doesn't really show up anywhere else in the New Testament. But really what it's referring to is this expectation that people in the first century had of the Messiah coming into the world, of God's kingdom coming into the world, of God's people being restored, this golden age of peace and and prosperity and salvation, in a word. It was this great expectation that they had. And this is a promise that's spoken about in the Old Testament prophets repeatedly throughout hundreds of years. And so what this means is that Simeon was a man familiar with God's word. He knew what the prophets had said. He knew what they were teaching. He knew what God had said. And he had trusted these promises, again, probably his entire life. So here's my point in bringing all this up. If we were to look at Simeon, what we should see is a man of commitment. If we were to read the story of his life, it would be one of dedication to the Lord. That's who he is. So when he takes that baby in his arms... He's realizing this is the answer to all of those promises I've spent my entire life trusting in. And what he does is he realizes also the way that I've lived my life, my righteousness, my devout commitment, all of that has been worth it. I've put my trust in the God of the Bible and in his promises, and it was not in vain. This is the evidence that I have lived life in the right direction. I have chosen well, and there's contentment in that. Simeon may be towards the end of his rope, but he can look back on the rest of his days and smile because he has chosen to live right with God. You might think about it like this. Warren Buffett, a name you're probably familiar with, one of the most successful investors in the United States, maybe even in the world. I don't know. When his son Peter turned 19, he gave his inheritance early. He didn't wait till the end of his children or wait till the end of his life. He gave it to his children early on. Peter was 19. He received stock that was worth somewhere in the neighborhood of ninety thousand dollars. Now. You might think, well, if I was 19 and I had $90,000, I probably wouldn't have it very long and spend it on a lot of stuff. And that's what Peter's siblings had done. And Peter watched this and he didn't want to go down that same road. So he used his inheritance a little differently. He bought time. You see, Peter had this dream of making it big in the world of music, but he wasn't really sure he had what it took. And so he used $90,000 to cover his expenses while he would work and try to develop his music career just to see if he had what it took. He dropped out of college. He moved to California, got the cheapest apartment he could find, drove a beater of a car, he, uh, you know, he didn't allow himself any extravagancies, he just lived really, really meagerly because he wanted to stretch that $90,000 out as long as he could. He took on unpaid work to try to get experience, he put out ads for you know, classifieds and services to see if he could get a little bit of money, but also just keep building his repertoire and his skills. And he did this for, for a few years. And finally he got his big break one day when he was out washing that old beat up car neighbor was talking to him. You know, they hit it off. What do you do? Peter said, well, I'm trying to make it in music. The neighbor said, well, I have a nephew who's an animator for this new cable TV channel. They're looking for people to write ad tunes. And so Peter called up this nephew and they hit it off. He got the job. This new TV channel was MTV. And it was a defining you know, generation thing in the 80s, early 90s. And so that was Peter's break. He met all the right people at Open Doors. And, and he's gone on to have a, a very successful career producing music. Now, he could have stayed in college. He could have worked at his father's company, which would have been a much more secure gig. It would have probably made him a lot more money. But Peter looks back on his life, realizing that he is able to live his dream That he has found success in what he loves to do. And so he looks back on the risk. He looks back on the choices, on the sacrifice, and he says, it was worth it. If I had to do it all over again, I would do it the exact same way. And he has satisfaction in his life. That has to be what Simeon feels as he holds Jesus in his arms. Yes, his days are numbered, but he looks back at his life and he realizes, I made the right choices. My commitment to God has not been in vain. I have been faithful. And I think all of us probably want to be in a similar situation. When we come to the end of our rope and our days are coming to a close, I think everybody on earth wants to be able to look back on their lives and smile and find contentment and satisfaction. But the most surefire way to experience that, along with this kind of joy that we see in Simeon, is to choose to live well with the Lord. To choose that path of righteous, devout connection or commitment to Him. That's what brings satisfaction at the end of our days. And that's a great aspiration, but sometimes we hit these bumps in the road. Sometimes we have some valleys, sometimes we fall by the wayside, sometimes we have an entire year, maybe where developing that kind of faith and commitment is challenging. This has not been an easy year for a lot of different reasons, sometimes because of large-scale things, sometimes because of very personal things. And on the small scale, we struggled. Maybe we questioned God this year in ways we never thought we would just because of the mess that was happening and all the stuff that happened in our world. Or, or maybe you know we just fell out of some really significant spiritual disciplines and habits this year. It would have been really easy for Bible reading to take a back seat or for our prayer life to become a little apathetic or probably most easy given the constraints that we had to live in. It would have been really easy to fall out of the habit of gathering for weekly worship. And maybe there's some holy habits that just sort of fell by the wayside. We're not real proud of that. Or maybe this year, you know, it was tough. It was mentally challenging. We fell into some, some pitfalls, maybe some behaviors we thought we had left behind and some valleys we thought we crawled out of. Maybe we backslid a little bit. And maybe when we look back on 2020, it's not going to be a real bright, shining moment in our story. I want you to know that that is okay. This is one year. And the measure of our commitment to the Lord is not boiled down to one measly year. More often, it's like Simeon. It's this long life of righteous devotion of commitment. It's the direction that we're heading in. We're all going to have valleys. We're all going to have those moments where things aren't maybe as bright and shining and righteous as they should be. The question isn't, what did you do in 2020? The question is, what did you do in 2021 and 22 and 23 and 24 and all the years to come? You know, sometimes we talk about this phrase, two steps forward, one step back, like it's a negative, frustrating kind of thing. But if you think about it, that's still a net gain of one step forward. You're still moving in the right direction. And as long as that direction is closer to Jesus, you're moving in the right direction. You're taking righteous steps. And so maybe your year wasn't great. Maybe this isn't one you're going to write down and tell your your kids, your grandkids about. Maybe this isn't one at the end of your life you're going to look back and go, boom, that's one of the highlights. Maybe this is one you'd rather forget. So forget it. Move on. Close this chapter. Let's move forward. So that someday we can look back and smile. The choices we make today can be the commitment we celebrate in the future. It just matters if we move forward from here. So that's a really important lesson Simeon has to teach us. And how we can have this joy. Even in a situation like the end of our life. or, Or the end of an unfortunate situation. But there's another really significant lesson he teaches us this time about the future. You see our hope for the future can also spark an audacious kind of joy. Simeon's joy isn't just a, a reflection of his commitment in the past and the fact that he's lived his life well. Really, the majority of his joy has to do with his expectation of what God is going to do moving forward. You know, the Messiah coming into the world, it wasn't just this answer to, to God's prophecies a long time ago, and he's here. That's, I mean, that's a big deal. Don't get me wrong. The real joy was what the Messiah was going to do It was the changes he was going to institute. It was the work that God was going to do through him. That's what Simeon sings about in his song. In fact, let's look back at that in chapter 2, verse 29. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon says, You can dismiss me in peace because you are bringing salvation to all the nations. That was the work that the Messiah was going to bring. This this expected reunion or reconciliation with God. You know, I don't know if you listened to our Christmas Eve service at all, but we had this section where we talked about sometimes in our lives we have these, these bulbs that go dim. You think of Christmas lights. You know, they're beautiful, they have these bright, shining moments, but we all have one dim bulb. And that one bulb can kind of make the whole strand go dark. We all have these moments that kind of separate us from God and, and that really put a distance between us. I mean, even if you move past these things, you think about an argument you may have had with a sibling or with your spouse or a coworker or something. Even though you move past the argument, there's still this awkwardness between you. Until somebody verbalizes forgiveness, until we know that that relationship has been healed. That's what the Messiah was going to accomplish. That's what Jesus did. He healed our relationship with God by paying for our sins. He brought life to us when we were sentenced to death. He brought reconciliation when we would distance ourselves from our creator. This was salvation. This was what was going to happen. and It was for all the people. Not just a small group of people located in this small Middle Eastern nation called Israel, but for all the people, for you, for me, for our households, for our coworkers, our friends, our family, for everybody. The whole world would be invited to know the goodness and the grace of God. Even more than that, if that weren't enough, there was this future expectation that someday God's kingdom would fill this earth. And that all the brokenness and the wickedness and the evil that plagues us in our lives would be done, would be abolished. And God would reign unchallenged. And sin would no longer be a thought. And brokenness and pain and death wouldn't even be a bad dream. God would bring real, total, full healing to his people. Total salvation. This was a great thing to look forward to. This was the hope that Simeon was talking about. And it's the hope that you and I share And we have every reason to look forward to that hope with expectation because God is faithful to his promises. The coming of Jesus is a prime example. Hundreds of years the prophets talked about the coming of the Messiah and boom, here he is. If God can keep that promise, why can't he keep this great promise of salvation as well? There's confidence to be had knowing that our God is faithful and capable. Not even the messy, broken world of first century Israel could stop God's plans of bringing salvation. And the messy, broken world of 2020 and whatever 2021 may bring, that can't stop him either. The mess of this world cannot dethrone our God. And there's so much peace to be had in that, to know he wins no matter what. It's kind of like this. I was playing Battleship with a friend of mine one time. You know that game, right? You've got Navy ships, and you've got your grid, and you put them on the board, and there's this wall you can't see, and you call out the, the coordinates. You sunk my battleship, right? We all know what game I'm talking about. So I was playing battleship with my friend, and it was a close game. He sunk three of my ships. I sunk three of his ships. And then he pulled ahead. He sunk my fourth ship, leaving me with only one left. He kind of put me in a corner, and he was feeling pretty confident, and he started to gloat. A little bit of trash talk was happening because that's, that's you just have to play games with some trash talk. And so this was, you know, he was trying to goad me, but I wasn't really letting it get to me. I wasn't emotional. I just said it doesn't really matter how many of you sh- my ships you sink because I'm going to win. And my friend was really puzzled by why I was so confident. But here's what my friend didn't understand: where he thought he had me in a corner, I had opportunity to prevail and where he thought that he had really just boxed me in and cooked my goose I saw potential but really the most important thing that my friend didn't see was the really big decorative mirror on the wall behind him (laughs) I knew exactly where his ships were (laughs) I had every reason to be confident because I already knew the game was over he just didn't realize it yet I couldn't lose and when you can't lose you have every reason to have confidence and peace. Sometimes the world will claim that God has been boxed into a corner. We may feel that He has only one ship left. This world's such a mess. How can God prevail? He knows exactly how the game ends, He knows where all the pieces are. He cannot lose. And there is so much joy to be had, so much confidence and peace to be had, to know our King, our God will prevail no matter what. We have every reason to have hope for his future. And there's so much to rejoice in that. Let that be your joy as this year comes to a close. We all hope 2021 is going to be better than this year. But as somebody on Facebook kindly pointed out, 2021 was the year in which Mad Max was set. So this could get exponentially worse. We don't know, right? But no matter what the circumstance or situation, our joy, our confidence and peace, it doesn't depend on this world. It depends on our unfailing, always prevailing God and the future that he has promised to bring. Let that be your joy. So Simeon, he teaches us about the past. Our past commitments can be a source of joy. He teaches us about our future. Our hope for God's future is a source of joy. The real question that we have to deal with in this moment, though, is our present. What can we do today to make sure we look back on the past with joy? What can we do to make sure we are part of God's unfolding future? What I'm really asking is what step can I take closer to Jesus today? Because He is the key to all of this. He's the reason Simeon sings with joy, and He's the reason we sing with joy as well. He's the one that brings salvation. He's the one that forgives our sins. He's the one that purchased that new life for us. He's the one that reigns in God's coming kingdom. He's the one that bestows God's spirit upon us. He is the key to this audacious joy, and drawing closer to him is what we are called to and what we have to do if we hope to experience this wonderful, wonderful blessing that we've been talking about for four weeks now. Some of us, you know, maybe weekly worship has been difficult, during this whole time, maybe we've relied on live streams a little bit. Probably not so much us in this room because I can see all your faces, right? We see each other every week. I know when you're here. I know when you're not. But, but I would encourage you, if things do progress, if, if you know there's this new strain in Britain that apparently is much more contagious and infectious, even if things progress, I would encourage you to commit to weekly worship. If you have to use the live stream, that's fine. Live streams are great supplements, but they're really bad substitutes. I would encourage you, if possible, commit to gathering for weekly worship. Be safe. If you have health concerns, please be safe. Stay home. But if you don't have to, there's something really special about gathering together on Sunday morning. A live stream will never ask you, hey, how's your week going? And genuinely want to know about your life. A live stream will never see your posture as you sit and wait for church to to start and notice something's probably amiss in your life and start praying for you in that moment. I promise you, a live stream will never do that for you. And weekly worship affords us that opportunity. So maybe that's our step, is just to continue committing to weekly worship. Maybe, though, it's Bible reading. You know, A lot of us, we need to grow on our understanding of who God is and how he works in his ways and so on. And all of that is in Scripture. It's kind of funny, but kind of sad. We have so many questions about life and about purpose and about why things are the way they are and how God works and so on. All the answers are in the Bible. Sometimes they're hard to find. There's a lot in there, but it's all there. Sometimes, though, we we just don't engage with it because we have maybe too many excuses. Maybe we have too, too many distractions. A lot of times, though, I think we just don't know where to start there's a whole lot to digest there, it can be kind of intimidating. It's kind of like I, I got this trial version of a new piece of software on my computer. It's, it's music production software, and I was really excited about it because I'd seen what people had done with it, and I thought, okay, this is going to be really cool, and I can't wait to dive in, so I, I installed it and booted it up, and instantly overwhelmed. There are all these dials and menus and you know, gauges and, and, and meters. I don't know what any of it does. And so I started clicking on stuff. I got a few error messages. That's never a good sign. I just got intimidated by the whole thing. I shut it down and just said, well, forget it. There's so much potential right there to create something really cool, but I just don't even know where to begin diving into it. And sometimes that's how we feel about scripture. We know that there's so much potential here for our lives, for our faith, for our understanding of God, but we, just, we don't really know where to dive in to get started, and so we don't. And I never want that to be an excuse for people, so we're going to do something a little different this year, starting in January. Um, I, I've already selected a U-version Bible reading plan for every week of this year, this upcoming year. Uh, that correlates either with the theme that we're preaching through or the passages that we're preaching through. We're going to publish those on Facebook and in our email and all of our other publication channels um, every week. This is basically going to be my Bible reading plan for the year, and I would encourage you to make use of that and read along with us. I think it would be really cool if we as a church we're reading the same scriptures together, and God was working on our hearts through the same words and the same devotional ideas. And bonus, if you're not real sure where to jump into the Bible, just start with that. It's a really great idea to just start reading, because if we're all reading the same stuff, somebody's going to be able to explain it. Somebody's going to have some insights that connect with you. We're all reading the same thing. So I would just encourage you to do that. This is you know, just an awesome opportunity to build that discipline into our lives. So again, that starts in January. Sometimes, though, it's, it's not Bible reading. Sometimes our hearts need to be shaped a little bit by God. We need to be shaped by the things that his heart beats for. And I think the most effective way for that to happen, in my experience, is through prayer, regular practice of prayer. And that's not always easy for people. You'd think it would be, but there are, again, a lot of distractions, a lot of things that get in the way. Sometimes we're just not real sure how to engage with God in prayer. And I never want that to be an excuse for people. And so we're going to do something similar to our Bible reading plans. Every week, we're going to post a prayer focus. We already have prayer points planned out through the entirety of the year for every week. And these are going to be topics that, again, kind of correlate with our teaching on Sunday morning. We'll have different prayer points for you to focus on, different things to pray about. And these are specifically topics. There are uh, attuned to the things God's heart beats for. We see in Scripture what He cares about, where His priorities are, and, and we wanted to pick prayer points that correlated with that. And so I would encourage you to join with us as a church, and let's be praying the same things, the same kinds of things together. And as that happens, I would encourage you to take notice of how God works on your own heart. Sometimes we think prayer is about us applying God's power to our will God, will you do this for me? Will you give me that? Will you work in this way? I found that one of the most profound works of prayer is how God's power impacts and subjects our will to Him, meaning it changes us in some way. You know, this year we put our house on the market in like February, which turns out that was a bad idea. (laughs) Who knew? And we've just been praying, and our prayer started out, hey God, whatever house we buy— let it be a blessing, and if it's going to be a curse, just close that door, which is a fine prayer, but it's really a focus on us and our well-being. And as our house sat on the market longer and longer and our frustration grew, our prayers started to change, and we started to pray, God, help us to see this house as a blessing and not a burden as we wait. And God was changing us a little bit in that to find contentment in our lives. And now as our house sits on the market, which by the way, if you want to buy it, it's still available. But now as we sit in our house, our prayer has changed even still to God. Whoever buys our house, let them be as blessed by it as we have been. And it's this change that God has kind of worked in us through this year through prayer. He focuses our hearts on things that are more important to him. Does he want us to be safe? Yeah, absolutely. But he's probably more concerned with our hearts and it's concern for other people, their well-being, their blessing, their joy. And it's just a powerful thing that prayer can do. And some of us, that's what we need in our lives. Maybe that's the step that God's calling you to take this year. So join with us in these prayer points. There are a lot of steps that we can take. None of them are bad. So long as they're closer to Jesus, it is the right step. So let's take it. Because 2020 is over. It's done. All the frustration, all the setbacks, all of the you know grumbling, it can be closed. 2021 is a brand new year, brand new opportunity to find real, audacious joy, not in our circumstances or in our situations, but in our God and who he is and what he's done and what he's going to do through the power of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to have joy. Thank you for Christ who fills our lives with good things, who fills us with life, with your spirit, who grants us peace because we have mercy and we stand before you cleansed. Lord, you are so kind to us. And you have blessed us with so many things. So let us focus on that. Whatever this world may offer, whatever this year may bring, let us focus on you and what you are doing in us and through us. In the name of Jesus, let that be our audacious joy. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.